KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a brand new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. From KCRW, I'm Kim Masters, and this is The Business. As SAG-AFTRA members vote on the hard-fought deal their guild struck with the studios, there is dissension in the ranks. Union advisor Justine Bateman tells us about her AI concerns, while SAG-AFTRA chief negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland says the union got the best deal possible. I'm not trying to tell members that this deal is perfect. I'm not trying to tell members that they shouldn't be concerned about AI. Both of those things are correct. What I would say to members is this contract before this new deal had no protections for AI in it at all. Blank page. Bateman wanted a deal that defines a performer as a human being. Crabtree Ireland says the Guild will fight another day in just two and a half years. But first we banter. Stick around. It's the business from KCRW. I am joined by my buddy in banter, Matt Bellany. Hello, Matt. Hi there. So we are going into the holidays Hollywood can celebrate the end of the strikes, assuming that SAG-AFTRA approves the deal. But the box office has turned into a huge problem. Disney saw the Marvels open to a very low number and then drop like a stone. Then the Hunger Games came onto the field of play and flopped in China, as a lot of things are flopping in China, these big movies that Chinese audiences used to love. And that was a market that was depended on for a lot of money. So we're looking at a pretty lean Christmas, I think, for the studios, unless something suddenly pops out. Yeah, I mean, a lot is going against the studios this holiday season because a number of movies were bumped out of this corridor to next year. The Ghostbusters sequel, Dune, there were a couple others as well. And there's a lot of question marks. I mean, we really don't have an all-audience, surefire, gonna-be-a-smash movie. Even the Disney holiday animated movie, Wish, the reviews on that are not great. And that could be weaker than expected. They've got Wonka. Wonka is actually coming on a little stronger than most people, including myself, expected. But then another DC movie is looming for the end of the month in Aquaman 2. And the buzz on that one is not great. So the question is, you know, we are pretty sure that the year is going to end up up over 2022 at the box office. It is still coming back from COVID, but the question is how much up? And it's probably not going to be anywhere near the 2019 level of box office. Right. And I'm going to turn to an argument you made um, in your newsletter for Puck. And I'm talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. This is a movie that Paramount initially had. Martin Scorsese was saying there's a number and I think Paramount felt very confident that whatever the number was, <laughs> that was not going to be the real number because he blows through budgets uh, repeatedly. He and Leo DiCaprio rewrote the movie. Initially, Leo DiCaprio was going to be the FBI character and had a bigger part, but he and Marty put their heads together and flipped it so that he is not in this heroic role. He plays the nephew of Robert De Niro. So Paramount balked, you know, at just making the film, even though Marty and Leo seem like such an unbeatable combination. And they made this deal with Apple. And I am confident in stating that Jim Giannopoulos, who was the head of Paramount at that time, subsequently fired, can feel pretty good about getting Apple to pay for this deal. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a movie that, depending on who you believe, cost in the $250 million range. And so far, it's sort of petering out of the box office. It's at about $145 million worldwide. So that is not going to cut it. And honestly, my rant on this is really about the double standard that has emerged. Because a movie like The Marvels, which is from a traditional distributor, Disney, and cost about $250 million, it comes out of the gate and it grosses about $160 million worldwide so far that movie has been declared an outright flop everybody is freaking out about the future of marvel and yet apple puts out a movie of the same budget with bigger stars and it's gross less in theaters and won't gross much more and that movie somehow in the media and around town you don't hear it described as a flop because there's this notion that apple as a streaming service is just going to be very happy with having a big movie on the streaming service and they're going to get the value out of a scorsese movie there the double standard that's been applied to these movies that have been released in theaters by apple and amazon is pretty startling because the movies that are released by traditional distributors, everybody declares them flops and big losers when... But they, they all have streamers. <laughs> yeah, those studios have streaming services too. And Disney Plus is going to get a big bump when Marvel's debuts there. So it's a weird time right now. I don't think people quite know how to handle these streaming services movies. Yeah, well, I guess people think Apple finds it in the sofa cushions, but that's not really how the business generally works. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. That's Matt Bell founding partner of Puck News. Today we talked to writer, director, and producer Justine Bateman and sag after chief negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland. We start with Bateman, who has become the face of opposition to the Guild's deal when it comes to AI. The multi-hyphenate served as a union advisor on generative AI during the negotiations. Okay, so let's try and make this understandable for people like me who are not good at ideas like this. <laughs> We're just trying to get at the main things that you think are the issues with what sag agreed to. You know, we know that sag argued over this to the bitter end and came away defending what they got. And I know you object to it, but like, are there a top three things you think are disasters or can you summarize it for us in some way? Um, well, first, I want to say a few things. I was glad to be of service to SAG, which is a union I belong to. I'm a former actor. I don't do that anymore, but I was on the board, was on the negotiating committee 15 years ago, um, have worked a lot of contracts, had to deal with contracts as a writer and a producer and a director and a former actor where there are loopholes and allowances and you cross your fingers and hope they won't exploit them and then having to live with the fallout of those being exploited. So I'm glad to have brought this unique combination of assets to be of service to the Guild. Secondly, I want to explain a little bit for anyone who doesn't know or they want to have like an easy way to you know tell their relatives what this is. Generative AI, I'm going to really simplify it, but it's something like a blender and it can't do anything on its own. Like a blender is not going to give you a drink on its own. It needs input. So if you want to write a book, you put in thousands and thousands of books, you turn the blender on, you give it a prompt, and it'll give you a Frankenstein spoonful that's an amalgamation, a piece of an amalgamation of what's been put in the blender. I will just pause to note that they did, in fact, use one of my books I found in the chat GPT. Well, so, um, so you know how that feels. I was not pleased. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and by the way, these are copyrighted works. The high quality ones that they say create the best 
Frankenstein spoonfuls are copyrighted. Um, and thirdly, I want to say it's not so much that I take issue with this agreement or that I am opposed to this agreement. I'm not going to qualify it like that. I am doing the same thing I've been doing for nine months now and six months specifically to the actors. I am explaining what is coming. I mean, I've been pointing down the railroad tracks to the train that's coming and it's going to come in closer and closer. I've been saying the same thing. It's the same things I said that caused the SAG leadership to ask me to come be an AI advisor. I said the same things during the negotiations and I'm saying the same things now. The only difference is that the train is now here. And so people are upset and I'm saying be upset at the train, not at someone pointing at the train. There's a big difference. So I'm merely saying to the actors, whether they ratify it or not, I'm not here to advocate for any particular vote. I'm saying, let me spell out how these allowances and loopholes can be used against you. And so if you choose to ratify it, be prepared to get your agents and your lawyers to protect you. If you can, yes, so, if you're at that level of having agents and lawyers if you to protect can. you. Right. Yeah. And the thing I take most issue with, and I will take issue with something here after I've said all of that, this quote, synthetic performers that I just call like human looking AI objects to allow that is akin to Teamsters allowing self-driving trucks to operate in their place. It's akin to the WGA saying you can let ChatGPT be a full author of screenplays. It is like the DGA saying we have minimum uh, hiring quotas, but you don't have to use humans for those positions. And that, look, I know we can't stop this. And I've always held that I know nothing I'm saying is going to stop any of this destroying the business. But I was hoping that the unions would take an opportunity. And I believe that has been done by some of the unions, take an opportunity to create a kind of a lane through this for its human members. And I am just expressing that if I look at this and I'm the AMPTP, I don't really have to use any humans anymore. And that saves me a lot of money. So is there a particular thing that could have been included in the deal that would help actors? Because I know that Duncan Crabtree Ireland has said there is no way we could ban AI. That's not an option. And it sounds like you even agree with that. But I mean, not happily, but still. Is there something they left in or left out that would do better at addressing your concerns? And if so, what is that? What kind of language is that? Well, it's what I just said. Uh, WGA got definition of a writer as a human. DGA got definition of a director, AD, UPM, second AD, as a human. I would have liked to, and I advised them to get that language in the SAG contract, that the definition of a performer that would fulfill the role of a human character has to be a human. But that's not in there. What else? Yeah, that whole synthetic performer, the human-looking AI objects, um, I think creates a real problem for reasons I just said. And, you know, the rest, like, I'm not here to criticize the leadership. You know, they did what they did. How I feel about the leadership or the deal or something is really not important. What's important is that these actors understand what is happening to them. And that's been my position from the beginning, not just for actors, for everybody, for everybody in the business, for everybody in our society. Because I have this unique combination of 
uh, expertise, if you will, or education or whatever, I can see how this is going to be used and how it's being used. Um, I just want to let people know if this is ratified, what is available. And if it is ratified, you know, here's a list of things you can take to your agents and your lawyers to try and get protection for. And also make as much money as you can in the next two to three years and get to know filmmakers, independent filmmakers. It's going to be primarily independent filmmakers, I think, who use humans and work with them. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll see where it goes. Justine Bateman is a writer, director, and producer and served as a union advisor on generative AI during the SAG-AFTRA negotiations. Thank you very much for explaining all of this. You bet. Thanks for having me. Coming up after the break, SAG-AFTRA National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland breaks down some elements of the deal that ended the 118-day-long actor's strike. You're listening to The Business from KCRW. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes. Join Jacqueline Coley as she hosts a brand new podcast, Seen on Screen. Meet the innovative people at NBC Universal as they share their journeys, inspirations, and the movies that define them. Each episode is an intimate and fun conversation about the impact of film. Seen on Screen is available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. This is The Business, and I'm Kim Masters. Following our conversation with Justine Bateman on her opposition to AI provisions and the Actors Guild deal with the studios, we spoke to SAG-AFTRA National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland. He addressed some of the most discussed elements that emerged from long and laborious bargaining with the studios. Our division of labor at The Hollywood Reporter was that we had some reporters talking to various people in the Guild. And I was more the pipeline to the studios. So uh, I was sort of hearing what they were thinking as things moved along. And I think there certainly was frustration with the speed at which things were moving. And, and I heard complaints that, you know, sag after was very, very slow getting back. I don't know. Why would it seem longer than whatever that went on with the writers? Do you have any idea? Well, I mean, we have a larger committee, so that could be part of it. Our committee had a total of 44 members on it. Uh, the Writers Guild was a fraction of that, although the DGA's committee is larger than ours. So I think also, you know, people sometimes can be frustrated with something substantively, and then they can translate that as frustration with the process. I mean, we extended the negotiations for 12 days at the request of the companies. And during that time, there was a five-day stretch while we were waiting for them to respond to something. So, you know, I don't think it's a very fair statement to say that we were particularly slow in responding to things. In fact, I think given the size of our committee, we were quite nimble in moving in response to things that were presented to us. But sometimes things take a while to discuss, especially really important topics. And, you know, I do find it ironic that there would be, you know, complaints about us taking too long to make a presentation when we waited for months for the studios to come back to the table after the strike started. 
Yeah, I think what I was hearing about was the time you had to spend informing your group, you know, with the people in the room turning around and, and saying, this is where we are. And that does take time with that many people. It does. And also, there are really tough issues to get your head around. So, it, you know, I think that it also depends on what the nature of the issue is. I mean, particularly with AI, for example, a lot of the things that the companies wanted to push for, we really had to evaluate in great depth and then discuss extensively with our committee. When we got into a lot of the details of AI, the CEOs even brought in a special group of their own full of IP lawyers who are not normally part of these negotiations at all mm. uh, to do a bunch of the talking with us. And we spent probably 10 hours on Zoom with that group of lawyers over three meetings talking about language for AI. So um, I think everybody really felt the pressure to make sure that they were getting things right in this negotiation. And that sometimes takes time. Yes, these are very complicated issues in some cases. Now, ultimately, AI was the last. But before we get to that, there was this question about the share, will you get a share of revenue or would it be something based on subscribers? And I think that, as I understand it, the CEOs were just like, we're out, we're not doing that, it will never happen. I mean, can you describe what that was like? Because I think they got kind of exercised about that one from what I hear. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because early on in the negotiations, basically, we were told, you know, we're not ever doing that. But it wasn't really clear what the that was. And over the 35 days of bargaining, we really didn't get a lot of feedback from them on that proposal. But we kept telling them how important it was to us. And then once we got in the room with the CEOs, even the first meeting with them, they posed various objections to it, you know, various logistical and practical objections to it. So we went away. And we came up with modifications to our proposal to address the specific objections they had put forward. And then when we came back and we delivered that to them. They then sort of said, well, no, what you need to understand is we just aren't going to do it. Like, even if you solve our specific objections to these particular issues, we don't want to do it. We're not going to do it. This is never going to happen. Right. And so that was actually the first moment when that was ever said to us in an emphatic, clear, and just resolute I'm, way. So yeah, that's I'm when our committee remember. went back. Did they just leave at that point? I I can't remember. I think maybe well, they did. It, the leaving was after our response to that because they had okay. come back to us with that with that statement, basically saying, you know, we appreciate that you worked on this, but we're not interested, even if you solve the problems we had articulated. And I think what it was, was in an effort on their part to be kind of courteous, they sort of outlined these objections to it that we then took as the real reason that they didn't want to do it. So we went back and solved those objections. And then it became clear, no matter how many objections we solved, they did not want to do it. Yeah, a and non-starter. That is when, yeah. A non-starter. And so our committee heard that and it took a lot of soul searching, but they basically said, fine, these companies are never going to get off of this objection to the revenue attachment. So we need to pivot. So then that's when we came back with the pivot, which was what is now affectionately known as the 57 cents pivot, <laughs> which is, you know, which was a subscriber-based formula instead of a revenue-based formula. But it was intended to match the money. Like we were not trying to make a move on money at that point. We were trying to fix the structure and then we figured we'd negotiate over the money. And I think that's where they took it the wrong way for whatever reason. I, I think we presented it very clearly, but it was heard as somehow we are stuck at this money amount which wasn't the case. We explicitly told them, you know, we are happy to negotiate over the money. This is a structure that we're talking about. And in the end, the structure that we ended up with is different than that structure, but it is still based on subscriptions and viewership. So that sort of is what it is. But that is what apparently prompted that walkout 
I don't know if this is something I'm calling it in my head, but what we ended up with was what somehow I'm thinking of as the Fran Fund. <laughs> Maybe somebody used that language with me. 25% of shows that, well, you can explain it better than me, that she controls 25% of the income from uh, successful shows and can do with it pretty much as she pleases. Is that true? <laughs> well, I, I would not I would not say that. Uh, I mean, so, she can't so what, buy herself a new car, but she can distribute no. it. Well, not really, because this fund that we're talking about is a jointly trusteed fund. So half of the trustees will come from the studios and streamers, and half of them will come from the union, just like our benefit plans do. So it can't, under federal law, be exclusively controlled by the union, and it isn't. So what's going to happen with the fund money is our TV Theatrical Standing Committee, which is our negotiating committee, is going to make recommendations to the trustees about how those funds ought to be distributed to people who work on those streaming platforms outside of the folks who are getting the bonus based on success. And then the trustees of that fund will have to approve whatever guidelines are implemented. And so that'll require buy-in from both sides because uh, half of the trustees will be from the AMPTP. And this is money that is like a sort of a residual or a bonus for success, right? Right. I mean, it's it's called a streaming bonus, but it functions like a residual in the sense that it's paid after the initial work is done. The amount that it comes from is triggered based on viewership and subscriber factors. The distribution of it is to be determined, at least in that fund, because that's what the guidelines are going to be formulated jointly to determine. But the intention is that it will help make folks who are on programs below the most successful hits that are addressed in the first part of that proposal. It's intended to make it so that folks on those programs that are really substantial contributors to the platform but aren't the biggest hits, make Mm -hmm. sure they also have some kind of additional income that helps bridge those gaps because with the shorter orders and the longer hiatuses between seasons, that becomes more and more difficult for our members to sustain. So that's what the purpose of it is. And I think we're all on the same page about that and uh, expect that to be relatively non-controversial as we go through the process of getting those trustees to approve guidelines. So let me turn to AI. I know you guys have been sort of creating the final version, as I understand it. And meanwhile, you've summarized the agreement. You've had briefings with people in, you know, members of the union. I should mention that we at KCRW are sag after, but we're in the news and different. And we appreciate that very much, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'll leave that there. Um, (laughs) And and, uh, AI, I mean, as Clearly, Justine Bateman has been the face of objecting strenuously to, you know, AI, I think, period. And that has become a controversial thing and maybe led to anxiety as to whether this will be approved in the general vote. And I guess from your point of view, and this was something, again, that you fought to the bitter end, I've seen you quoted saying, there's no world where we could make a deal that just prohibited the use of AI, and we did the best we could, and it wasn't bad. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I mean, I think that is right. And I don't don't think anybody has a deal that prohibits the use of AI that I'm aware of. And even if they do, (laughs) it's unclear how that would actually work. Um, We can't stop the advance of technology. We never have been able to, not just us, but anyone in this world, whether it was, you know, the printing press, the atom bomb, the industrial revolution, the developments of the car and our industry, television, (laughs) our strategy has been to use the power and leverage we could create to channel how the implementation occurs in a direction that is supportive of what our members need, rather than, you know, using all of that energy trying to block 
this technology in a futile effort to prevent it from happening. I mean, they can't ban AI because it's already in use, but for a performer, I think is the issue for people who are, for obvious reasons, made very anxious by this kind of, I mean, rapidly advancing technology. You know, a couple of years ago, I think some people started looking into it out of curiosity and suddenly it's right in front of our faces and we don't know where it's going. For big actors who have power, I think they can have agents and lawyers represent them and say, this is what I specifically will make the Tom Cruise deal or the Brad Pitt deal or something like that. But for most people, they won't be able to do that. And I would think one of the more concerning things that I guess can't be addressed, I don't know, is that they can say to you at the beginning, we want you to sign this that lets us use an image of you or a replica of you. I'm forgetting all the terminology. And if you don't want to sign it, we're not going to hire you. And that is the kind of thing that I guess could not be forbidden in this negotiation. I mean, I think from a practical point of view, it's not something that companies would ever have agreed to. And it's not something that we can even realistically anticipate happening because right now, and for many years, it's been the case that, you know, some performers are engaged to do performance capture work using different technology. And if you don't want to do that work that way, you know, that's the way the work is going to be done. And so someone else will do the work instead. I mean, I think there are a number of things where performers have to decide if they're willing to do it or not. And that is why it's so important to have informed consent so that you have all the information you need to make your decision about what works for you. But just like if you're asked to relocate to another country for a year for a project, or if you're asked to do nudity in a project that you may or may not be comfortable with, if you decline to do that, then they may choose to hire someone else to do that instead. What this contract doesn't allow, though, is it doesn't allow them to spring it on you. There's advanced notice requirements. There's informed consent requirement where reasonably specific details have to be provided about any intended use of a replica. If you have already been engaged to work on the project and then they decide they want a digital replica or then they present consent to you, you can say yes or no. And if you say no, you'll still have to be paid for that project. So I do think that those are protections that are consistent with the kind of protections we have for other big decisions that actors have to make in deciding whether a particular role or project is right for them. So looking at the bigger picture of where is this going to go, do you feel confident that you'll be able to persuade people that you've done as well as anyone could do? You guys have said this is the billion-dollar deal and bigger than all three previous deals in terms of money that combined, which I, I had heard from the studio side before the thing ended. And, you know, the studio people have said, I mean, David Zaslav was on the record saying that you guys were right about everything, which he might feel is a little bit of an overstatement, but he said it. Uh <laughs> Where do you think it'll end up? Do you think you can pass it? Do you think it can pass it with a big margin? Do you think it'll be a squeaker? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really know where that's going to land. My main focus is in just trying to make sure our members have accurate information. And, you know, I know that the AI topic in particular is something that creates great anxiety in people and for understandable reasons. And that's why it's really important, you know, like a certain amount of fear and anxiety is helpful because it keeps us focused on threats. It makes us self-protective. And then too much fear and anxiety can become crippling. And so it's important to find that right balance. And I, I'm not trying to tell members that this deal is perfect. I'm not trying to tell members that they shouldn't be concerned about AI. Both of those things are correct. But what I would say to members is this contract right now before this new deal had no protections for AI in it at all. Blank page. 
Now we are going to have, you know, more than a dozen pages of detailed limitations on what the companies can and cannot do with AI as far as digital replication, with generative AI. We have incredible protections for background actors in this contract. Um, really, really strong protection. So I think someone can hate AI and feel like AI shouldn't exist, shouldn't be used in the industry. And they can also recognize that given that after a 118-day strike, what we were able to achieve are significant limitations, but not a ban on AI, that this may reflect the best protection that is possible. And that in collective bargaining, there's always the next cycle. I and mean, we needed to get guardrails in now, but those guardrails can be strengthened and you know improved in future cycles of bargaining. And frankly, the structures that we built position us for that. The fact that we get notice of any kind of use of synthetic performers, so we know when it's happening, and we have the right to bargain over that. The fact that you know we have protections against the use of digital replicas now, even if they're created outside the project for independently created digital replicas, we have protections. That's extraordinary, and that really has value. So I do think that our members are far better off with these provisions than they would be with any other alternative. And so I think that members will recognize that even if they don't really like the idea of AI being used. And of course, there's all the other gains in the contract as well to add to that list. Duncan Crabtree Ireland is the National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator of SAG-AFTRA. Thank you very much for joining us and explaining your point of view on all of this. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And that's The Business. Joshua Farnham produced and edited today's program with help this week from John Meek, who mixed the show. You can stream The Business, as well as other great KCRW shows, on kcrw.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kim Masters. We'll see you next week on The Business. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a brand new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.